Kia ora koutou. welcome back. Uh, welcome back for me, actually, to your ears. Hi, how are you? Um, thanks for joining us again. This is the Department of Conversation, a place that we have more conversations rather than interviews with interesting people, with interesting thoughts. We are proudly made in Dunedin, but we are not necessarily a Dunedin product, although today's guest is Damien Newell. Uh, for people in Dunedin, you may know Damien as the host of the local The Breeze Breakfast Show. He's also a Dunedin councillor, actually, and uh, the corporate voice of uh, Forsyth Bar Stadium when the Highlanders are playing. So he's an incredibly Dunedin-focused person. So I imagine in the podcast there'll probably be a fair bit of Dunedin stuff that comes up, but he is also a bit of a political junkie and a political animal. So we, I'm sure, will be talking about big things happening in the world of politics at the moment. Come like us on Facebook. Just head to Facebook and uh, look up Department of Conversation or just DEPT of conversation and uh, yeah we look forward to bringing you a few more of these this year as we move to 2019 to see what this product is going to be and who's going to be enjoying it so thanks for being with us again this time around uh, we'll probably see you again this time next week give or take and this is my chat with Damien Newell I think we go I think we're we live we should probably stop the conversation about <coughs> drinking beer mind mm. you it is what is it Beer o'clock. Yeah, it's beer o'clock. It's lunchtime. We can have a beer. Mm. Damien Newell. Kia Hello. ora. Hello. Kia ora. Kia ora. You good, man? Yeah. Yeah. It's wonderful to be here, mate. I've got to say I'm well impressed with the uh, the green room. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's it's very you, Pat. It's very you. We are, uh, for people, well, people won't know, but they, if they've seen our intro at the start, they'll know we work with the guys at Petri Dish, who are a group in Dunedin who uh, do shared office space. Mm. Uh, if you go to their website, which I think is just petridish.co.nz. James can confirm that for us. Mm. Um, Probably the, be a wee link just pop up. Just look, <laughs> look at the penthouse, and that's yeah. where we are. And this is where we are, South D in the background. Stunning. And yeah, just stunning. Yes, yes. No, we were just talking before we went live about um, the, what we try and do in the podcast. What we're going to try and do is this do is, a recap. We do a recap. Well, this is a conversation, not an interview. Mm. It's more like chatting with a mate over a beer. And then we just started talking about beer. And I said, our, our plan, hopefully, is to get our own studio at mm. some stage, like permanent studio. And our plan is to certainly, I don't know, shall I, shall I keep my powder dry? I was going to say maybe talk to Emerson's no, I, I, or I, someone like that. Wet that powder. Let's get Richard Emerson as your first guest <laughs> and then just and, fill the fridge. Yeah, and get a fridge in the corner. 1812, And, then it, and then it will be, oh, yeah, I'm a, book, I'm a bookbinder. Oh, yeah? Yeah, bookbinder for me. Mm. Um, and then we will have, it will be like that, mm. you know. I kind of said to, I can't do this because various... Um, um, health and safety requirements, but I almost wanted to have the vibe that if someone wanted to light up a cigarette, they could. Right. You know, like if this was being done in that's my house. A, that's some cutting edge stuff. Yeah, but we can't do that because it's in a workplace. Yeah, right. But if this was being filmed in my house, it would be like if you want to smoke, smoke. Yeah, that, right. that, that kind of laid back. Sure. Don't want the commercial studio vibe, want the laid back, chill vibe, which is why when Jace, our producer, was... Um, was kind of giving us a countdown. You and me were still talking about beer. Mm. <laughs> Whereas professionals such as ourselves yes. should know we should be quiet about that. So what are we going to talk about? Um, well, look, I uh, for people who don't know you, you are a long-time radio broadcaster. How long have you been in that game for? 28 years. 28 years since you were like four. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Unbelievable. <laughs> yep. Yep. I have to say your beard has always been a bit of an inspiration to me, by the way. Is it? Yeah, a little yeah. bit. It's uh, a little bit greyer. But, yeah. um, but what I know of you is you are a political animal. Mm. And I wonder, maybe if we had a beer, it would be better. Yeah. If we can give you a bit of space to have a chat about some of that stuff as well. 
because I don't usually I, need them too much of an well, invitation. Well, no, but like on your fabulous radio show here in Dunedin, mm. it's not really the place to talk about what a dick Trump is. No, no, if, it's very much horses for courses, and as you know, with the amount of choice that people have yeah. uh, in broadcasting these days, I mean, you get on your hobby horse and you just start losing listeners left, right, and sideways. Yeah. We, we had a um, a very graphic experiment when uh, when Bush was about to invade Kuwait. And um, you know, we did this piece on the on the radio. It was called Twat. You know, the war on terrorism. And we did an update every day. And then, we, you know, we we planned marches down the main street, and we did all that. And our audience hated it. Right. Um, wow. They left in droves, and uh, it was a really, really big wake up call for me because it was really, really crucial and important to me. And you know, um, all I could see was it was a battle for oil, and you know, it's like lots of people are going to die, and it's America invading another foreign country. And you know, as it all turned out, we you know we were right. Right, but um, it, it's about, you know... Um, In the moment, people yeah. get that patriotism, support, they're our allies. But I was going to say, Jace, can we please make a graphic at some stage called Twat, the war on terror, the yeah. war against terror? I yeah. do like that. Yeah, yeah. That might have to come back. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, as I say, it's like, you know, there's that, that, that old saying, it's like, is it, is it important to be right or is it important to be nice? And that's something I'm learning. Um, I'm not very, very good at it yet, but I'm, I'm trying to learn that because... Um, when you've got very, very passionately held views, um, you know, uh, you do want to express them to people. And, you know, you've done the research, you've, you've, you've waded through the bollocks and, you know, the, the false clicks on, on social media and everything, and you've, you've checked your, your sources and everything. So you're pretty, pretty guaranteed that you've mm-hmm. got the, the chops behind you. So when you get into a conversation with someone, I find it very, very difficult if they, if, if they drop a bomb, you know, for you not to pick up on it. But again, you know, it's like... Um, yeah, it is important to be nice, and that's something I've got to get my head around. Oh, you know, in context. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that um, we were just saying before we started as well. I'm going to hopefully have a chat with. Uh, well, I am going to have a chat with the Flat Earth Society of New Zealand as a part of the podcast. Yeah. And I watched a clip the other day with Neil um, deGrasse Tyson, mm-hmm. and he was talking about when you have someone of an opposing view, and he was talking about flat earthers, but whoever, you um, say to them, give me your best, uh, your singular best argument, bring it forward, Mm. I'll bring you mine, and then you start there. And he said, he gave this example of someone, um, I I, I might be wrong, but I think it might have been a flat earther for them, and they had these questions, and he gave them all the resources, all the links, all the information to solve those, Mm. and then he, the person went away and came back with other questions. And so at that point, Neil deGrasse Tyson went, this conversation's over. Because yeah. actually, no matter what I bring forward, you're going to have your belief. Now, he didn't say this, but the way I think about that is it sort of becomes more of a faith-based religion. Whatever the issue is, then, you know, a, 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 a like scientific position. That's why I have such a, you're dead right, that's why I have such a, a vehement position on religion. And, uh, you know, I, I think there's a lot of, you know, sort of, you know, anti individual religions, you know, and, and they get the T-shirts and they get the flags and they don't like this, uh, but they'll, they'll defend their religion till the cows come home. Yeah. And my point is, anything that relies on faith, you know, over science, give yourself the day off, mate. There's no point talking to them. There's no point. You're just not going to get anywhere. And the other thing I learned, Pat, and again, I'm at the very, very early stages of this because I knew everything when I was 18, you know, and, and slowly as you get older, you realise that you don't. But... Um, uh, it, it, it's it's important to them. Why take it off them? Unless it's harmful. Unless it's harmful, and the, yeah, and that's a very very slippery slope because I, most of them are at some level, aren't they? Well, I remember, and I, I don't know if I entirely agree with this. I might have even been Hitchens talking about a train, 
And he was talking about like the carriages of the train being the people in society Mm -hmm. and kind of going up the front with the scientists and the academics and these kind of people who are progressing the species forward. Mm -hmm. And then there was society and then they went back and at the back he was, he didn't, I don't know, he didn't use the word mouth breeders, but it was that kind of vibe. Mm -hmm. And he was like, you need to, we need to pull the pin on that, Mm -hmm. on that carriage if we want society to go. Yeah. That's sort of what he was saying. So, you know. No, I I know what he's saying with it, um, but I'm also a firm believer in the risk of, we might as well pull out as many cliches as we can while we're here. Uh, you know, society's judged on how you, you look after those uh, less fortunate. And a lot of the time, um, those that hang on nearest and dearest to to a faith-based, faith-based religion um, are those that need it, are those that don't really have everything else going on and sometimes they just need that thing to cling, cling to. And it's like, you can eviscerate their argument. You, you know, you, you could sit there and, you know, take them right from, you know, Ricky Gervais does it very, very well. Yeah. Um, and you can take them, you know, point by point. But it's like, at the end of the day, you're going to walk out there thinking you're all that in a bag of chips and they could be absolutely decimated because you've taken the only bit of hope that they had. So it's, you know, it's a, it's a really fine line and I think sometimes you just have to, Take a point out and just say it's better to be nice. Yeah, so that's almost the agree to disagree situation. Yeah, which I've always struggled with. And, but the other I've thing is often the, the kind of ideologues you're talking about in whatever area, I think sometimes an ideologue finds it difficult to agree to disagree because mm. they need to be right. I wrote a piece for my blog, gosh, quite a long time ago, probably five, six years ago, and it was called um, Ideology Versus Intelligent Debate. Mm. And I think we'll all agree, I think you'll agree, that you're never 100% right. Mm, mm. But an ideologue yep. always has an incredibly strong position and always sells it as being right. And so what I like to do sometimes, and I actually hope that this podcast, not this individual podcast, but what we're doing will become a forum for that, is I'm not, I'm, I actually want to say to people, and I'll give you an example, I want to say to people, where have you been wrong? Mm. Because whether it's a political position or a religious position or a morality position or a ethical position or whatever, mm. you can't, I mean, it dictates, I mean, logic dictates we're not right all the time. So when are we wrong? And if we find those places, I wonder if it's going to be easier for us to move forward as a as a people mm. on some levels. I I have one. I mean, um, the example that I I struggled with for years was uh, the whole GE development, you right. know, um, genetic engineering. And you know, I heard about you know um, the frog genes being injected into my tomatoes and how terrifying <laughs> that was. And you know, and I bought the whole thing. And you know, the Greens were on board with that, and they you know they they bought that whole whole bus as well. I mean, science hasn't borne it out. And I mean, unless you know something catastrophic goes wrong in the next wee while, and it may, who knows? But it's like I'm warming to that now and saying, hey, maybe this is how we're going to feed the world. Um, there are a million other things that we need to get to as well, but um, you know, genetic engineering isn't quite the the bogeyman that I thought it was. That I was trained to believe that it was, and I did. I, hook, line, and sinker. I was anti, anti, anti. And now that I'm reading more about it and and learning more about it, um, it's okay to be wrong, and I might still be wrong. I'm interested. You say trained. To believe, well, explain that because who trained you? How were you trained? Like, are you talking Self, from self taught? Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Is it, is, it, is it Dr. Google? Or is it the University yes. of Dr. Google? Well, is it, it a political ideology that put this out there that you well, bought? What happens, and I think it happens to us all, is you pick your heroes in life that you love and you adore and you worship, and it's really, really comforting when they agree with you. Yeah, more importantly, you agree with them. Yeah, and even if you didn't quite agree with them 
before they had that position, you probably tend to. Now, if you look at, take that out, uh, social media is basically that echo chamber mm. because you get rid of the people that disagree with you. I, I keep a few around for sport, um, but generally speaking, you do. You just, you know, you exile those that don't, that don't agree with you. So you, be, you become just surrounded by people who think the same way you did, which is just so dangerous. And I invite uh, controversy. I invite uh, as many um, different viewpoints. I, I've, I mean, it got really ridiculous for me during the during the last election. I mean, uh, I was unfriended by many people and unfriended a few myself. And I, God, I just thought at the end of it, you know, when when we came out and we had no result essentially, and Winston was going to be kingmaker and he was going to do his business and do what Winston does. Um, you know, I just thought, wow, was that all worth it? And you really, I mean... When I, you say, was that all worth it, you mean losing the friends and cutting people off or the actual election? Oh, both. <laughs> <laughs> both. Um, but, I mean, just dying in the ditch over things and realistically, when it comes to political debates, it is just ideology because mm. you, can, you can find the facts you want to back your argument. Um, when, it, when we're talking about scientific things, obviously, um, I think it's a lot more black and white most times. Um, so, you know, um, but, yeah, I think you tend to train yourself and surround yourself by people who are going to agree with you and that's the, that's the pages that you follow, you know, that's the T-shirts that you buy, that's the people you you hang out with the music you listen to you know what I mean and I think what we've got to remind ourselves is in this time is what got us here as human beings is the fact that we we could adapt when new information was given to us that's why we're all here otherwise we'd be dead it, it seems as well that the two the two streams like an ideology will be immovable and wrong I'm just generalizing yep. now mm -hmm. whereas science will be movable mm. But still wrong. Ask, like, Pluto. I mean, Ask like, Pluto. Yeah, and like I, <laughs> I think about, um, you know, things like going through school. I mean, we're of a similar ilk. You go through school, even silly things like this is how you do sit ups. Oh, no, no, you don't sit ups like that. You do oh, crunches because mm. it's bad for your back. Oh, eggs are terrible for you. Oh, now eggs are the best thing in the world. Oh, the low fat is good. You know, all these things all change as we go. And that might not be a science because there's a lot of, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure someone from your political ilk would be passionate to talk about, you know, what's happened in the, in the uh, food industry in the last 50 years. Mm. But what I'm saying is um, everything can be wrong. Yes. Um, and I wonder if that's one of the st uh, sticking blocks, you know, an, an ideology, let's say a religious ideologist will say, well, look at all these, you know, they used to say that this, 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 they used to say that there was an ice age. Mm. And now they say, why would I believe that? Mm. And, 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 and they will say, we've always had the truth. Mm. Whereas a scientist will say, yeah, we were wrong. Yep. And now we're moving to a different, and, and then the rebuttal is, well, you're wrong now. Yeah. So then where do you go? And I mean, you, you're talking about when, um, I, I was thinking as you were talking about, um, we surround ourselves and we look up to people that we agree with. And straight away, I thought religion, mm. because I know there are lots of people in America in the evangelical world who have started to become accepting and open to LGBT issues. Mm -hmm. And many of the leaders, in fact, I'd probably go so far as to say all the leaders, and people like Rob Bell and Tony Campolo and these people who people um, watching and listening may know of, mm. are now all ostracised by the evangelical group. Because although they've got 50 years of being a hero of that movement, mm. they change one position and they're ostracised. Yeah, And I wonder, that happens in every ilk of life. Mm. I surround myself with these people, I agree with these people, they agree with me. Oh, now they don't, they're, I was going to say the devil, I didn't mean it in a religious way, but they're, the, they're now the enemy. The prior. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, um, I'm just trying to think of another meme. Uh, uh, essentially, it, it says, you know, um, speak your truth even if your voice quivers. And a lot of the time, um, 
it's only the brave that can step away and, and go against the flow because it's very, very easy to go with the populace and, and whatever's, you know, current at the time. You know, mm-hmm. it's very easy, for, ex- for example, to hate everything that Trump does at the moment. You know, very, very easy, especially living in New Zealand. I mean, but, you, you know, you, you actually scratch the surface and engage. I mean, talking about the uh, evangelical Christians, I mean, they're far more, it would appear, uh, far more forgiving of, of, of adultery these days. Um, <laughs> than they were with, Clint, with, with Bill Clinton. With Bill Clinton. Yeah. You know, so, um, yeah, I don't know where I was going with that. But uh, I, I think um, sometimes it, it's, it takes real intestinal fortitude, guts, bollocks, to actually put yourself out there and say, I know everyone else is going this way, mm-hmm. you know, but... Um, I think if you believe something, you've, you've got it. You've got to stand up for it. I mean, those are the people that are remembered. Those that, those that sort of just join the throng aren't remembered. I mean, you know, if you, if you back the courage of your convictions and do your research, don't be a monkey. Don't just grab the, the next thing that comes along on social media. I mean, you know, cross-reference. It's more important, as I'm sure you know. I know you know you love the news as much as I do. Um, it's so important now that we cross-reference. You can't take anything as gospel. I have a bullshit meter. Yeah. I have a little nerve in the back of my neck mm-hmm. that goes. And like the classic example was just the other day when Donald Trump Jr. released that photo of Anderson Cooper mm-hmm. on his knees, apparently, some people yes. were saying, yes. in floodwaters to make his dad look bad when the photo was 10 years old. Yeah. And um, Anderson Cooper decimated them on CNN. Mm. Oh, look, there it is. There's the image there. If we bring that up, that one there. Yeah, yeah. And and that was and the, one of the saddest things from when they actually did this was the guy in the photo who has who's holding the camera yeah, with yeah, the blue yeah. t-shirt on had passed away twelve months ago. Yeah, and I saw some people post that mm. people I respect in America because mm. I follow the news mm. and I follow this sort of world, mm. and it gutted me mm. because it's complete bullshit. Yeah. It's complete bullshit. And the beauty about it was if if you haven't seen this, go to YouTube and look up Anderson Cooper's rebuttal of it. In the rebuttal, he says. There is, there is lower land than this, mm. but it's up there. And he says there is high land and it's a deeper water and it's behind me. Mm. And he was saying that when you get off the off the road, it gets this deep this quickly. So it was no show. It was no yeah. nothing. And and yeah, yeah, the bullshit meter went off for me. And then the next day, I saw the rebuttal. Yeah, and I think also you you do still have your trusted sources. Um, and you know, as I think you know, the the yin to that yang is is Trump's whole idea of fake news, which you know, I think if we had to mock up a definition of fake news, it's anything that doesn't show him in a in the light to which he'd like to be shone upon. I saw a headline today, not to interrupt you, uh, that says something like five thousand lies. He's told five thousand lies since being in office. Just and, clicked over. And, and you know, the yin to that yang is also also everyone says, oh, politicians always lie. It's like, no, I'm sorry, mate. That is that everyone lies socially. Right, we mm-hmm. all lie socially. We learn early, and we lie socially if we need to get out of shtuk. He is just braggadocious. I mean, he just lies for the sake of it. I mean, we're probably heading to the UN pretty shortly, I would imagine. But, but he he lies, and he's done an amazing job because what he does is just as people are starting to work out that lie, he hits them with a bigger one. So there's no time in the news cycle. He's got yeah. it worked out. There's no time in the news cycle to go back to this one because there's a new one. So is Trump a genius no. and knows how to use it, or is he like a stumbling fool he is who a- is who has basically got just happens to get the 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 rotation of the stumble just right? He's got he's got good people behind him. By good people, I mean they're terrible people that you know you'd line up against the wall. Um, but the likes of your Stephen Miller, I mean they're very very good at uh, Roger Stone, very very good at. Um, reading 
um, the public mood. Um, they're only feeding the base. This is the problem they're going to have very, very shortly in the in the midterm elections. Is they're only feeding their base, and that is getting smaller. So they're not widening the tent. They didn't get enough votes, you know. Depending on who you listen to, they didn't get enough votes. They lost by three million, you know. But mm-hmm. the electoral college got them through. Sure. Um, so they're not widening their tent. He's he's in real trouble for twenty twenty unless he changes his stick. I was thinking about this just yesterday, actually, because I was thinking about the midterms. And look, it's difficult at the moment to make any kind of prediction, especially after the last U.S. election when. All predictions were wrong. Mm. Um, but I, I think just point of order regarding that. Point of order. No one no one had included um, Putin's input. Yeah, true. Now, if you take out Putin's input on social media alone, you know, they, they say Trump won by 58 or 60,000 votes in the Electoral College. I mean, that is just a, it, it's nothing. It's a blip. Now, take into account how much social media Putin and his sure. team put in. That's it right there on a stick. So well, I think to a certain degree, yeah, the pollsters are wrong, but they hadn't they hadn't put the quotient of Russia in there. But what I was going to say is, that, I mean, you can include that in, this, in my statement, is that who knows what's going to happen in this upcoming election. Mm. I did think just in the last couple of days, though, I was thinking, um, I, I don't think that Trump would have, like if the elections were held today, the, the presidential elections, mm-hmm. I don't reckon he is going to gain a single vote. I think he's only going to have lost votes. Mm. So, because there are a huge number of people, you see them all the time on news sources, on social media, around the place, who are saying, I regret my vote. Mm. You don't see people who are saying, I voted for Hillary, I wish I had voted for Trump. You just don't see it. So, I think that what you're saying about 2020 at the moment, probably logically correct, Mm. is that he's lost more, but midterms coming up, the, the, this is the problem with the left around the world. It's the problem with the left in New Zealand as well, is that the right are a very good voting block and the left a shithouse at mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. And I remember writing a piece or putting a piece up that basically said America is a left-wing country. It has been a left-wing country for a very long time. Mm. Left-leaning, left-wing, whichever you want to put. And, and, and I had a metric. My evidence was that in the last 30 years, the popular vote has only gone to the right once. And that was the second the second term of George W. Bush when they were in the middle of the Iraq war. That's the only time that the right, quote unquote right, Mm. has won the popular vote. That means that for the past eight, nine, 10, whatever it is, elections, there have been more people voting for the left than the right. That's a metric, a measurable metric Mm. to say it's a left-leaning country. When people say things like, you know, America is the greatest country in the world, I always say to them, what's your metric? Mm. How can you measure that? But I think this left voting block is a problem. It always has been. The people who don't vote are typically more likely Mm -hmm. to be left than right. And I think that there'll be a lot of countries out there, and I think New Zealand is one of them, that if everybody voted, Mm. the left would always be in. Yeah, I think Will McAvoy said it best, didn't he, uh, from the newsroom. Oh, yeah, this was brilliant. Still probably true oh, today. Thank you. Can you say in one sentence or less what... <laughs> um, you know what I mean. Just skip forward about because he started about 30, 60 seconds in from memory. Yeah, keep going a little bit more. The Constitution this, is a masterpiece. Yeah. James Madison was a genius. More Declaration that, of Independence. Because he has to go, it's not. Here it is, this is here from the faces. You're saying... Yes. Let's talk about... Fine. Sharon, the NEA is a loser. Yeah, it accounts for a penny out of our paycheck, but he gets to hit you with it any time he wants. It doesn't cost money. It costs votes. It costs airtime and column inches. You know why people don't like liberals? Because they lose. If liberals are so fucking smart, how come they lose so goddamn always? Hey. And with a straight face, you're going (laughs) to tell students that America is so star-spangled awesome that we're the only ones in the world who have freedom? 
Canada has freedom. Japan has freedom. The UK, France, Italy, Germany, Spain, Australia, Belgium has freedom. So 207 sovereign states in the world, like 180 of them have freedom. All right. And yet you, uh, sorority girl. Just in case you accidentally wander into a voting booth one day, there's some things you should know. And one of them is... There is absolutely no evidence to support the statement that we're the greatest country in the world. We're seventh in literacy, 27th in math, 22nd in science, 49th in life expectancy, 178th in infant mortality, third in median household income, number four in labor force, and number four in exports. We lead the world in only three categories. Number of incarcerated citizens per capita, number of adults who believe angels are real, and defense spending, <laughs> where we spend more than the next 26 countries combined, 25 of whom yeah. it was. That was a great show. That was, um, I'm so sad that that show got cancelled. It was such a good show. Until, until they had an episode on the capture and kill of um, Osama bin Laden. Oh. He was, he, Will McAvoy was a- absolutely brilliant. Um, and then he went all yippee-ki-yay on it because they were objective. He was objective. You know, we just saw that. It's like, yeah. you know, he would sing the company song when he needed to, but also there was this underlying thing. It's like, we know this isn't true. And then they went all in on the whole Osama thing, and it was just a bit yippee-ki-yay, but a great show. Great show. Um, the and, the, and the funniest thing after that, yeah, if people haven't seen the newsroom, is that uh, Jeff Daniels then went on to do Dumb and Dumber 2 mm. straight after. I, yes. I remember seeing an interview with him and he was, and, and they said to him, how did you go from, you know, Will McAvoy to Dumb and Dumber 2? And he went, it was surprisingly easy to get back into that character. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Great movie. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I like the question about metrics because it's like, yeah. you know, if you say XYZ is the best, mm. Tell me why. Yeah. What's the metrics? Um, and I mean, Trump did it this morning, and hopefully we'll grab some. We might bring it up now, where oh. he was he oh, was no. sharing the rhetoric that he's been sharing in his um, campaign speeches. His daddy, an, daddy needs love speeches. Yeah, but to an adoring crowd that yell and scream and shout, yeah. and he does it to the UN this morning, and, and they laughed. The world leaders laughed at Donald Trump man. when he tried to do it. In less than two years. My administration has accomplished more than almost any administration in the history of our country. America's so true. God, how embarrassing. <sighs> Didn't expect that reaction, but that's okay. No, he wouldn't. No, no, but you know what? They even, I mean, they've already started to spin it. He said in a, um, you know, like the, a corridor interview mm. later on, he said um, it was a joke and it was meant to get laughter. No, but right there and then he no. said, I, I didn't expect that no, reaction. He, he um, uh, Stephen Miller wrote that, 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 that speech for him and he, he believes that, as you say, he delivers it to those that adore him, yeah. left, right and sideways. A lot of them are paid to be there. Um, but it's a classic case that you can fool some of the people some of the time. He is in front of very intelligent people who lead the rest of the world, and it's like, we're not buying that bullshit, mate. And those are the people who don't need to know his and, metrics because they know his metrics are wrong. Exactly. And incidentally, Fox have posted the same clip, and they've taken the applause off. They've taken the laughter off. So, you know, <laughs> it's like that's what you're up against. And um, the thing is, he's mentally ill. I, I almost, and it's very almost want to stop mocking him because he's he's absolutely mentally ill he's 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 a sociopath mm. uh he's a narcissist i mean and both at absolutely off the scale levels i mean he just you know um the, those that are working near him all these leaks that we've seen you know the the anonymous op-ed and um you know rosenstein supposedly saying that he was going to wear a wire i mean there's smoke with this fire 
you know, and, and everyone's saying, well, why don't people resign? Those people, I believe, honestly are trying to stop him taking to America to hell in a handcart and, and the world with. Because Putin's whole objective is obviously to shake up the Western alliances, mm-hmm. whether it be UN, NATO or uh, any of the trade deals. He's doing it. Trump is doing it for him, every single one of them. And I think we've just found out today that, um, you know, the, the biggest trade deal in the world, NAFTA, um, Canada's missed the boat. Um, America has kicked out its, its closest ally out of its the largest trading deal. I mean, that's Putin on a plate. It's what he wants. And for, for people to say with a straight face that, uh, that he's not Putin's stooge is just, I can't wait. God bless Robert Mueller. Bring it on. Well, Rosenstein, I mean, Rosenstein, Rosenstein. Rosen, Rosenstein, I think. Anyway, um, who's a, a, a basically Mueller's assistant, yes. is a better word, mm. um, doesn't look like he's going. No. Uh, Which is really interesting seeing, yeah. Well, the, it, it, it was very interesting because what you saw there, um, because he went um, cap in hand to the White House um, to see Kelly on Monday, he thought uh, he was going to fi- be fired or he was going to resign. Yeah. Um, and both sides of the aisle came out and said, don't do it, it's a trap. Um, you saw Sean Hannity saying, my one piece of advice to the president tonight is do not fire Rosenstein. Stein. And, um, and um, yeah, the, the left was saying the same thing because it would invoke a constitu- constitutional crisis and no one needs this at the moment. Right. Because, um, it, because then the house of cards starts to fall. Uh, he can obviously... Um, if... He needs Rosenstein to resign because if he fires him, uh, he's got to go through another um, process to to get um, the thing that they're doing with Kavanaugh at the moment, another, what do you call it, Uh, hearing. They've got to have a a whole. uh, But if he resigns, they can put in an acting um, uh, man in, in his place. Which means he could pick his person. Which means he could pick his person and also he could limit Mueller's inquiry in ways that we won't know about, i.e. Uh, cut down the jurisdiction, cut down their funding, cut down their numbers, cut down their time frame, all of these things that we will never even know about. So that's why Trump really needs him to resign. So if he doesn't resign and he stays there, all is well in the world. I, um, I can't remember who it is. It's on my Twitter feed. I was watching an American news feed, which I typically have going most days. And there was a commentator who said something like, I'm paraphrasing the quote, um, isn't it interesting for the so-called witches, how many, for the so-called witch hunt, how many witches are actually turning up? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, because they keep saying, you know, there's nothing to see, there's nothing to see. And you have no people, collusion, people no collusion. who are flipping, people who are giving evidence, the convictions that they've already been. I'm just, if, I know this is easy to say, but if it was the other way round, if it was, let's Obama. say, let's say, well, let's just say Clinton had have won. Mm. Worst candidate they ever picked. If they had to pick Bernie, he'd probably be president today. But let's say Clinton had a won mm. and these exact same allegations were there. Mm. What the hell do you think the, the GOP would be doing? Well, the thing is, the, the GOP uh, obviously control the House and the Senate, and that's why they would do those things. At the moment, the Democrats can't do a hell of a lot. I think what they could do is get one cohesive message going on, um, because that's one thing the Republicans do very, very well. Um, yeah. Well, that's the that's the right block vote. Totally. Well. They get together and, on and message. They're, they're good yeah. at it. Yeah. Uh, whereas we sort of vacillate between you know the People's Front of Judea, the Popular People's Front of Judea, and the <laughs> Judean People's Popular Front. I watched that the other. Um, <laughs> still the best movie ever. Um, 
So I, I think that's one thing that they could do. Uh, everyone's talking about the blue blue wave in the uh, in the midterms. I think that will happen. I think they'll get the house, and you know, there's rumours about that they may get the Senate as well. But it's not all over and done with. I mean, even if Mueller comes back with damning evidence, uh, it's up to it's up to Trump whether it gets released. I mean, it'll be leaked, hmm. you know, within seconds. But um, you know, then then he can just go back to his uh, his deep state argument, and you know, the world's against him. He's you know what he does well is you know he comes up with those those um, two two word or um, uh, two syllable um, things like no collusion and um, you know fake news, build and the wall, build the wall lock her up, crooked Hillary, all yeah. those catchphrases. And he does that very well because, you know, without putting too fine a point on it, the majority of those that, that vote for Trump and voted for Trump are dumb as a bag of hammers. Well, I don't know why no one says that, you know, that we dance around it. But at the end of the day, if you voted for him, you're not exactly the sharpest tool in the shed. And they don't like hearing that. But um, Well, can, can I just say, not necessarily to defend the Trump voter, that's one block perhaps, but there are also the block who are intelligent and are smart and are just sticking with their team, no matter what. Oh, if, yes, yes, yes. If they've got skin in the game. Yeah. Yes, yes. Well, but, I mean, the, but, but people who vote Republican because they've always voted Republican yeah. and people who are, who could never vote for Hillary because she's left and they, and she's going to want to kill every third baby in the womb. But, yeah, exactly. But what about, I mean, that, that comes back to our being able to um, change what you know is real. And, and, you know, okay, uh, if you were in the Midwest of America and you've watched all the jobs go offshore and you're poor and you don't have a house and da-da-da-da, he may have been the hope. And I understand that, you know, yeah. and, 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 and fair cop to that. But at what point do you jump ship? At what point do you say, I made a mistake here? You know, I voted for him, but it's a gargantuan era. And I think we're going to see that, as you mentioned. I think we'll see that in the midterms. I don't, I don't think we'll see that. I don't think those people are going anywhere because, as you say, they're surrounding themselves with people. But the one, the the uh, you know, the independents, those people, the people yeah. who are the people who voted independent can go either way. So look, look, I actually think that it's 40, 40, 20. There's 40 on the right, 40 on the left, and there's 20 percent independent. And I reckon it's you know, it's those people who always decide the election mm. because there are the people. Maybe it's less than 40. Maybe it's 20 who will no matter what will never change. Maybe there's 20 percent who might swing maybe but are likely to stay the same and there are 20% who genuinely can go either way and they're the ones that won't go back to Trump necessarily mm. or won't vote but but I also think local body politics I mean this is an area now that you're involved in in America it's it's a little less about your party and more about the person as well I mean if you've got a really good uh, person to represent you locally yep. it's less important what party they belong to and more important who they are mm-hmm. so that may play a factor in the midterms as well yep uh, th- th- there will be, there'll be many factors there'll be many factors but, um, I think um, it would still see, see I think that, that one thing the Democrats have done well is this this whole um, Supreme Court nomination of Kavanaugh mm-hmm. um, obviously we had the sexual allegations against him uh, the, the, there was one now there's two and, and Michael Abernathy says that he's got a third possibly more um, I think he said he was going to come out today he's gonna, today there was going to be tomorrow. a name mm. that was going to come out with more and because um, because Kavanaugh said he was a virgin right mm. through high school mm. and well beyond it but you see what the Democrats have done and you know which can, sorry can I just say Means nothing about a sexual assault. No, because he never had sex with the first accuser, and and that's not the accusation. It's like saying, look, I've 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 never I would never punch a person in the street because I've never been in a boxing match. They're actually completely different scenarios. You can attack someone mm. and attempt to sexually assault them, yeah. and still remain a virgin. 
Those things aren't... Oh, no, no, mutually exclusive. No, yeah. no, no, yeah, for sure, for sure. But, I mean, uh, it, it, it looks more and more like he was an absolute uh, scumbag. But um, what the Democrats have done with this, and, and you know, it, it's, it's morally wrong and reprehensible, but it's about time they got in the game, um, is they have played this so they have, they have asked the white male middle-aged Democrats, uh, sorry, Republicans, to come out and dis... The the uh, those that are making the accusations. Now, the, the the people that didn't vote in the last election were white middle-aged females. So if you've got all these bully boys beating up on this this brave woman to come out with her accusation of sexual mm-hmm. assault, that, that seems pretty credible. Let's face it. If you're gonna if you're gonna make an accusation and ask the FBI uh, to come and investigate it, you must be pretty sure. Yeah. I mean, I, well, I well, well, there's two possibilities. You're either very sure, or you're trying to delay the process long enough to take the house. I mean, yeah, but those, even those so, two, you can't you can't lie to the FBI. You go to the, you go to the big house. Well, but even, yeah, I mean, like I think it was um, Clarence Thomas. The FBI only took three days to do that investigation. Mm, yeah. So, Hill, wasn't it? Yeah. Someone made a very good point the other day where they've held that seat open for 400 days. Mm-hmm. What's another week? Yep. Yeah. I mean, they, they know. The, the, I mean, my, my, the, the, the more this plays out, the they, more... As you say, they know as in the GOP knows. The GOP knows there's more to come out. They want to get this over and done with very, very quickly before someone else comes oh out. Oh, my goodness. Look at this picture. So yeah. a picture on, the, on, the, on a bus. Where is it? Somewhere? Yeah. Oh, and, and, and the headline. Scroll down. What does the headline say? Does this woman for Kavanaugh, Kavanaugh bus photo op show mostly men? Yes, <laughs> this, yes, it this does. came out earlier this week and is yeah, is mostly white men. Yep. Well, there's, there's a few women there. Yeah, there's a couple. Um, oh but yeah, goodness, they, I, I think why? I mean, the the the, the general uh, uh, question is. Um, these, these, all these uh, people making the accusations, and, and Avenatti's got on the bus as well, uh, have asked for an FBI inquiry. Now, if you're lying to the FBI, if you're making yeah, yeah. a false, a false claim to the FBI, you will go to jail. There is no ifs, buts, or maybes. Now, um, they've, they've put themselves out there, and realistically, these people's lives. Once you've done this, once you've stepped above the parapet, uh, these lives are, you know, ruined. They've had to move house. You know, they will, ne- you know, death threats a whole bit. Um, so it's like I can't understand why they would do that and ask for an FBI and at the other end of the scale if you're going to nominate Kavanaugh for a lifetime position on the, on the judiciary make sure that it's squeaky you know have an FBI yeah. he's, they keep going oh he's had six FBI investigations background checks fine this is new information let's have another look at this and if you've got nothing to hide no worries and I believe his one of his flatmates came out his college flatmate yep. came out just today saying that he was a heavy drinker and when he got drunk he was aggressive yep. or he was you know a, a, you know, a, not a good, not a happy drunk. He and was aggressive. His, and and the, the other one that uh, that um, Professor Ford said was in the room at the time mm. uh, said that he doesn't remember it and he doesn't want to have any anything to do. With it. I bet he doesn't. Mark, Let's put Mark him, judge yeah, someone judge. Put him put him under oath. Yeah. Put him under oath and see what he says. I mean, I, I just think he, this this has become political. It's terrible. Um, but at the end of the day, I think. Uh, at some point, you know, Trump started off with, oh, this woman needs to be heard, you know, and how long did that last? Now he's just saying she was drunk, she was all over it and basically asked for it. So we've got, a, we, got a news headline here. Oh, Brett here Kavanaugh's Yale roommate says he believes second accuser. Oh, yeah. Should we have a listen? Have a see if we we'll get some, find okay. some audio there. 
This morning we spoke with James Roche, Brett Kavanaugh's freshman roommate at Yale in the fall of 1983. As he told The New Yorker and elaborated with ABC7 today, the Supreme Court nominee was, quote, a notably heavy drinker, even by the standards of the time, and that he became aggressive and belligerent when he was very drunk. Mm. Roche spoke today in support of Debbie Ramirez. So I guess to be fair, we've got to say that doesn't mean he's a sexual deviant, but but it paints a picture. Well, the thing is, you know, when we when we say that um, we want her to be heard, we want him to be heard as well. But I mean, um, the way they've asked the the Republicans have asked her to appear. I mean, it's just walking into a lion's den. She's going to get absolutely crucified. But that could play to her advantage in the sense that, you know, look, you've got all these stale pale males uh, picking on her. Well, they, I think they've said that they're going to have an outside counsel oh, questionnaire and it's female. Just makes woman. it even worse. So I don't know if, I don't know if they're going to be you know, no, but I mean, I was going to say probing her. That's the wrong, wrong word to use. You, you know, questioning you, her. You're going to bring in. You're going to bring in um, uh, a judicial, um, uh, you know, a lawyer essentially mm. uh, who's, who who specialises in sexual assaults to basically put her through the ringer. Mm. I mean, how does that make it better or more equitable? Uh, it's just, I think it's um, it's ugly, um, but I, I think. Um, they're going to be lucky to get Kavanaugh through, I and that's massive. The scariest that, headline I saw this morning yep. was that they've already said they're definitely voting on Friday. Oh, they, they have. They have. Um, what's his name? Uh, the turtle, um, Mitch McConnell. He came out and he said that that, that is happening. Uh, yeah. We are going hammer and tongs. And I mean, the other thing is, you know, they, they, they started off with this. Oh no, this woman needs to be heard. Now it's like they've just jumped very, very quickly to she's making it up and we're going to vote anyway. We'll listen to her, but then once we've heard her and she's finished, we're going to vote them on. Mm. That's what they've said. You know, uh, that's that's out there. And that's the leader of the free world, Donald Trump, said exactly that. He said, just in case, ladies, that you've been sexually assaulted and you're brave enough to come forward, um, we'll play the game, but at the end of the day, we'll get exactly what we want as well. And this is... I mean, he's been... How many times has he been accused? Yeah, a lot. Grab him by the pussy. Yeah. You know, et cetera, et cetera. I, um, I think that, once again, this just shows the, the, the cleverness and the evidence that how good the writers are playing the political game. I mean, to have what is, and I will say again, via the metric of the number of votes cast, mm-hmm. arguably a left-leaning country in America, to be controlled by a conservative you know, uh, Supreme Court for the next 30, 40, 50 years. It's been a game, a game, a game yes. that the right's been playing for 40 years to yeah, get totally. to this and point. The, and, the and, they, and they do it well. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, I mean, and and that goes goes back with the, the Koch brothers and and the, their whole plan. I mean, it has been, um, and they played it very, very well. The, the, the argument I have against that is they have all the money too. They have all the money, and they, ha- they and that buys them a lot of influence. And um, they do play the long game. I think I remember um, Chris Rock did a stand-up routine about being being rich, and I think he talked about being rich versus being wealthy, or the other way around. And he was talking about, and I remember the example he gave in one of his routines is Shaq Shaquille O'Neal, mm-hmm. who's now worth three four hundred million dollars. He's not wealthy. The person who signs Shaq's check is wealthy. Shaq's rich, right? but he's not wealthy. Yeah. And I was just thinking about it and I was thinking about people who, because um, I think straight away about, you know, I mean, I'm now using the stereotypes that the right do, but the liberal elite and the people in Hollywood and those, they have a lot of money, but they're not the ones who sign the checks mm. for the movies. Mm. They're the ones who make $100 million from the people who are worth $10 billion or the yeah. companies that are worth $100 billion. Mm. Yeah, so, yeah, I, thinking about that, yeah, mm. I get it.
and obviously the the media as well with um, with Murdoch. I mean, he's he's been able to control uh, the way a number of countries around the world think for a long time. Mm. Wow! This well, podcast you, could change that though. <laughs> small steps. Small steps. Now you, but I mean, you've also of recent times kind of. I mean, your radio career, your radio host and an entertainment host and mm. you know keep things nice for the listeners like you were saying earlier but you've also jumped into the world of politics yes local body do you have any ambition to go further you say you're a Dunedin City Councillor is that is how's uh, that going is that fun is are you enjoying that world is it something you want to are you looking for a national thing are you not national as in the party but a national you know a, I, I think we can <laughs> we can probably cross that one no uh, I, I I am absolutely loving local body politics I think I'm I was naive as most people are when they get in there in the sense that you want to change the world in half an hour um, what you do realize is a process um, and that takes time um, the other thing I you know because I was quite an outspoken critic of said council but the council to me and the council to a lot of people that you see on social media are just um, a group of anonymous people that you can throw shit at if, if your life's not going well yeah. uh, and I think once you get in there and you meet those people and you know that you've got very very hard working professionals actually trying to do their best for the city and they are you know it's like the you know the 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 image that's portrayed is is a group of Luddites sitting around drinking tea and you know and going to China every other week, and it's just it's just you know not the case. I I love Dunedin. My whole uh, reason for standing for for council was basically just to to do my bit because the thing was the way I look at it is we've had great forefathers who thought very, very long and hard about this city and where it was going to be and how it was going to be. And thank God that they did. You know, right back to Cargill's Pier, you know, um, they put that out at Aramoana, which meant we had a trading port, you know, where we could send frozen lamb, which just changed. It was a game changer for, mm. for Otago. You know, then you've got the people that uh, that voted in um, the, the railway station. Now the second most um, photographed building in Australasia behind the Sydney Opera House. Wow. You know, um, and, you know, then latterly Moana Pool and more recently, um, you know, because Moana Pool was the most patronised pool in Australasia for, for many, many years. And it was a huge investment for the city at the time. And and latterly, of course, God bless the Forsyth Bar Stadium. So I, I, I'm really proud of where we've come from. And it's like, I just want to chip in. I have no... Uh, I have no real ambition to go um, any higher with that in the sense that um, I think the mayor's job, never say never, but I think the mayor's job is a relatively thankless task. Mm -hmm. Um, I think Dave Cull is um, very proficient in the back room. Um, a lot of which you know the, the public do not see, um, but I think Dunedin's on a on a great trajectory at the moment, and it's just a case of hang on. I mean, we've got a few problems that come with that. Obviously, there's going to be a bit of a housing shortage over the next wee while, so we've got to look after that. Um, we've also got the problems with South Dunedin as we look out the window and that that beautiful ocean. It's getting closer and closer by the day. I remember um, doing a story and I was doing some stuff with the ODT, and it's not just that the sea level was rising, but actually South Dunedin was sinking. Mm. So actually, it wasn't just the the sea level doing this like that's the land it wasn't just the sea level coming up it was actually it was sort of doing yeah. this and it was I remember um, doing the math and if the you know the the trajectory had stayed even. It was something like sixteen years. Mm. I mean, we've we've seen a number of those graphs. Um, basically, um, Minister of the Environment were down the other day, and uh, from what they said was, over the next twenty years, all we'll learn is how bad it's going to be. Mm. Um, because we've got we've got a double edged sword in South Dunedin in the sense, but possibly triple if it's sinking as well. Um, but you've got groundwater. <laughs> is that news to you? Well, it's a swamp, so <laughs> not not so much. But. Um, uh, you, you've got groundwater rising, yeah. but you've also got storm surge. 
and that yeah, is a yeah. terrible combination because you you know where you get it and everyone you know and we've had we've had councillors sort of suggest that we build a wall and we build a wall from Lawyers Head to to St Clair and um, one just won't work but because you've got the groundwater as well yeah. um, but also it's like it's going to be a combination of solutions it's going to be we're going to need pumps we're going to need wetlands we're going to need holding ponds we're going well, to let me ask this question right yep and this question is a really naive question and it's based on a friend of mine who had a house in West Auckland they were on a hundred year floodplain and the council went you're gone we're buying your house you're out why not just the areas at risk we just go whoosh, park like I mean I mean I know this is not a Dunedin podcast no but we're talking about it because this is a relevant question for other places mm-hmm. where sea levels rising why doesn't the council the central government whatever say here are the in the next 20 years here are the 100 200 300 most seriously at risk buildings you're gone here's yep. the payout Go away, mm. you know, buy elsewhere, do what you need to do, and then after that, look at the next round, then after that, look at the next round. Well, the I mean, thing- they basically did it in Christchurch for a quake. Mm. We're just basically preempting our natural disaster. Why don't they get onto it? Our natural disaster is happening in slow motion. And the problem we have is we don't have two or three hundred houses. We have three thousand six hundred and four, I think, at last count, that mm. are in, in, in the gun directly. Now, uh, that could be over the next 20 years, it could be over the next 50 years, it could be over the next hundred years. So at what point? This is this is the huge thing, and and um, one example, I think it's Fitianga, but I could be wrong. What happened up there was the council did projections on on uh, where the hundred year flood line was going to be, yep. and a lot of these beautiful beautiful million dollar properties had the water line going right through the middle of their lounge, and they said, well, hang on, you've just devalued our property hmm. by X amount of dollars. They took the council to the court, and they had to take that off the limb. Right. So the council were aware of it. They tried to warn others that that was going to be the case and, you know, lost in public court. But, so, is, but isn't that similar here? I mean, again, not a Dunedin podcast, so this goes for any coastal area. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember up and down the country. we lived up, up the hill to start off with, right? I, I always said I would never buy, I mean, I'd, I'd flat in South Dunedin, but mm-hmm. I'd never buy a property in South mm-hmm. Dunedin in those flood zoned areas. Isn't that already known? Don't people already know that? Does that if not have to be on the now, limb or whatever? If you're buying now, yes. Um, if you were buying 20 years ago, no, you wouldn't have known. Mm-hmm. You know, and this is the problem. And a lot of those, a lot of those uh, residents are our oldest, right. um, are most vulnerable in the sense they don't have pockets of wedge. I mean, what we saw this year was the Australian uh, Insurance Council come out and say, uh, "Here's, I think it was a ninety-one dollar premium they were putting on on uh, properties uh, for flooding, essentially." So, if you take that to its natural conclusion, they'll either say, "Look, we'll do fire, we'll do, you know, we'll do burglary or whatever." We're not doing flood anymore. So we're not insuring you against flood. So then if you're sitting in your $800,000 house anywhere on the coast, right? how the hell do you sell it? It's not worth a tin of shit because at the end of the day, the insurance company won't cover you. Um, so then anyone buying can't get insurance. Which means they won't get a mortgage. Which won't. So at what point does that kick in? And that's the conversation that we're having up and down the country. And it's not only us, but we've got to have, I, you know, and it's very, very hard also. What we've got to do is we've got to take the, um, the residents along. We've got to give them all the information we've got and trust that they will make the decision. We can't do it for them Mm. because we're asking them to up tools and move out of Hurricane Alley, you know, and they've been there all their lives. They Mm. love it. They love those that live in South Dunedin, as you know, mate, Mm. and, 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 you know, anywhere in New Zealand. It's a great community. It's a great community and it's a great place to live and they love it. Um, So you can't just waltz in there and say, look, uh, stats here, um, this is our metrics. 
you're out. Yeah. Um, I, so, I, I was being a little bit clear. No, I know, I know. For, for, no, for the sake I mean, of expedience. No, I know, I know. And, and that's the thing. It's because that's exactly the conversation we're having at the moment. At yeah. what point do we push the button? And which button do we push? Well, I was going to say, that means there is a button to be pushed. Well, we don't know what that is because obviously if there's a buyback of 3,600-odd houses, we can't do that as a council. That's got to be central government money. I mean, that's what yeah. happened in Christchurch. Um, so there's, there's got to be that you know, that uh, component. And at the moment, we don't have that. The central government have shown little or no interest in writing a cheque for 3,600 homes. Well, well, I guess if they did that here, exactly. you'd, you'd then have to go... Mm. What are the coastal areas? I mean, I think I think South Dunedin is in particular risk because the it's harbour what, on one, one the side and, yep. the, and the sea on the other, Pacific mm. on the other. So, I mean, but there'd be a handful, 10, 15, 20, whatever other communities around New Zealand that would be the same. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this was my idea, again, South, okay. a, a Dunedin thing. Shoot. Could, you, could, could we, what would happen if there was like a, um, a canal put from the harbour through to the sea? Mm-hmm. Would that empty the harbour out? Would that level out? What would happen to bring some? So, in other words, funneling the water. Well, it would it would find its own level. But I mean, what we've also got to do is you'd have to you'd have to have pumping stations all over South Dunedin because if 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 the groundwater became that much of an issue, and at the moment, you know, depending on who you talk to, it is like I had a friend who built a deck recently, and in a high tide, those the holes where they were putting the posts were full. Oh wow! You know, so it's like it, it is. It's not far away. Yeah. You know, so. Um, yeah, it's going to be a combination. All we've heard so far is it, you can't, we can't do one thing or the other. You know, I, I think the last time the, the seawall breached was in the early uh, 20th century, and the water went up to um, Hillside Road. You know, for those of you who don't know um, Dunedin, that's most of South Dunedin. Oh, well, yeah, that's massive. So, so that's massive. Um, so um, when it happens, if it happens, it's going to be quite dramatic. So there's going to be a number of solutions. As I say, it'll involve wetlands, it'll involve holding ponds. The other thing to take into account is anywhere you've got a big, um, you know, uh, one of the big retailers, mm-hmm. you know, your Bunnings, your Mitre 10 or whatever, uh, or the supermarkets, they've taken all this ground and they've tar-sealed it. So the ground can't soak up yeah, so water anymore. There's no, water you know, nowhere for it to go. Yeah. Um, so yeah, th- th- there's a million different things that contribute to it. I mean, I, I'm uh, I'm one of the main reasons I, I, I went on to council was uh, for the South Dunedin thing. The other thing is uh, our dump. Um, it's about to run out. So you know, and and waste management is a mm. huge thing for our country. Being at the um, bottom of the world, you know, we've got to find markets for for our plastic. China have just said no, so we've got to try and find new markets for our plastic and glass um, or we we deal with them here and um, and make that somehow financially viable so hello it's going to be time to take off shortly but just before we do I want to ask you something Jace can you google uh, look up for a video protest outside antler restaurant vegan protest outside antler restaurant okay. now the other thing I want to do with this podcast is we're going to have a series of podcasts where we talk to people who have minority positions in society I'm going to have the flat earth guys come in mm. I'm really looking forward to chatting to them um, but one of the other groups I'm going to have coming as a vegan and I see your t-shirt yes yes lovely vegan on it yes the reason I want to speak to vegans is because of this protest I saw. Can we have some volume on this? Hmm. So this is in Canada. Going on an antler restaurant. Food of friends, food of friends. Where's the line drawn? Where does it begin? So this is- I am the cow of innocence. <laughs> and I'm here- And what they do, if you scroll forward a bit, it's a, it's a, it's a restaurant that kind of serves, it's, it's got antlers are its um, everything. So it's lots of game, that sort of stuff. Mm. And what the um, what the owner ended up doing was getting a leg of uh, 
a leg of a deer mm. and carving it in the window in front of them. Mm, mm. And this started a whole whole conversation. There was another one where a woman went into a restaurant and talked about um, my little friend and she was talking about a chicken mm. and she went into the restaurant as a protest. They were like talking about, I want to tell you about my little friend and she was talking about a chicken mm. as, as a vegan protest. Mm. And I sometimes wonder, a bit like the political scene, the left is not very good at protesting. Like there was a thing overnight where a bunch of left activists chased um, Ted Cruz and his wife out of a restaurant. Pointless. Mm. One of the reasons the right is strong is because they look at that and they think unfair, not fair. Um, yeah, I, I, and, I, I question and, that. I, I, I don't think, I, I don't think um, Ted Cruz can can do what he has done to mm. the American people and support tacitly what Trump has done to the American people and expect to get off scot free. Fair enough, but I guess what I'm saying is a lot of people would look at that and think. You know, yeah, stand, stand outside, no, I stand outside yeah, and protest. Yeah. Like those guys are doing, that's fine. Mm. But going into the restaurant, no. other people, etc. I, I don't, I don't know if I, I guess from someone who works a bit in marketing and advertising, I think about the message that's being sold. Yeah, I do, I do too. So this is this is the guy. This is what he was doing. He, yeah, didn't, right. he didn't carve. You may not be able to look at this if you're vegan. I'm not sure. He was. So they were talking about he was a murderer. He was a murderer, and so mm. he bought the leg of uh, whatever it was mm. deer out, and he just carved it there in yeah. the thing. And this was one of the things that made me think. It's really interesting perspective and I don't want to use ideology because we'll just use it in a bad sense, but, mm. you know, in a, in a lifestyle choice of veganism. What, tell me about it for you. What, what's it all about? Um, well, first and foremost, it's, it's not about um, raining on other people's parade. Mm. The reason people have an absolute aversion to vegans en masse is it challenges everything about their life, right? It's, it's, and people say, oh, they're so militant. They're so up in your face. And those guys were, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I was brought up on a dairy farm. I've been hunting. I've been shooting. I've done all the things and, um, you know, killed my own food. And I still live with a family of carnivores, mm-hmm. right, from from south south of here. So <laughs> trust me when – like, for me, um, I've always had an affinity with animals and I got – um, we got some hens because we wanted the free-range eggs for the kids. Yep. And then suddenly these bloody things became pets. Yeah. And you see their little personalities and their quirks and, you know, you know they, they run up to you and give you a hug and all these sorts of things. And I thought, um, I, I could kill you if I had to, but I couldn't kill you for a sandwich. Right. And once you get into that space, you know, the, the other way you, you, put it, you put it back on people and you just say, okay, you want to eat meat? You know, and I have no problem with hunting, right? If you, you know, pig hunting, I do because I think it's absolutely cruel. I mean, you set your dogs onto the pig for God knows how long. Now, if you did that to a cat, you go to jail, right? Why do we say that that's okay? Because a pig has the same age, they say, mental capacity as mm. a four-year-old. So why are we? And, but you just put it back on people and say, okay, if you had to kill your own food, yep, could you do it? Yep. And my argument is, I couldn't, so I won't. And that's as, that's as simple and clear as it is for me. But when people say, you know, vegans are very, very militant and they're in your, it challenges everything about you. That's what makes you feel sad because the thing is, you, you, you know, you look at, if you, if you send a five, uh, you know, 10, five-year-old kids into a room with a puppy and a pig, they'll play with both. Right. They won't grab a, a knife and fork when they head towards the pig, will they? You know, we're not, you know, and, and everyone says, oh, you know, um, you know, that's why we're at the top of the food chain and everything. And, you know, the constant, where do you get your protein? Where does an elephant get its protein? Mm. Where does a rhino get its protein? So where do you get your protein? Plants. All right. protein comes from plants. Look at, look at a gorilla, a silverback mm. gorilla, you know. Do you eat eggs? I mean, I know you said vegan, that doesn't make sense, but the, there's always been a conversation <laughs> that I've heard people saying an unfertilised egg 
Yeah. And there's honey and there's all sorts of things. This is why I'm not militant about it because, I mean, I, I live in a family and I, um, my lady is very kind to me and, and she cooks me mostly um, vegan meals. Yeah. Um, with we've got our own hens. I know if those hens could wrap those eggs and put a bow on them for the lifestyle we give them, they would give. So I mean, I don't die in the ditch over an egg. I, I don't like eggs. It's not right. not my thing. Um, but I, I I think also we don't need the world to become vegan tomorrow. Mm. What we do need is the world to stop eating as much meat for health, for for for, for bowel cancer. We've got the highest rate of bowel cancer mm. in the world, in New Zealand. Um, and the other thing is, thirty percent of the world's grain is fed to stock. Now, if you want to feed the if you want to feed the planet, just feed feed the people uh, feed the people the grain, not the stock. You know, so it's so the rich people can have their meat. So, um, from an ideological point of view, and and from a from a um, pragmatic point of view, um, animal agriculture is terrible, and history mm. history is going to be very very cruel to us on our treatment of animals. What about? Um, I mean, know, uh, did you sorry? Did did you see the 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 Teagle, um, footage recently? Didn't know. Oh, they, 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 one of the groups went into a teagle factory right. and saw all these deformed, dying chicken, right. you know. Caged, caged chicken. No, 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 they were barn raised or oh, whatever. Okay. And, um, you know, it was absolutely abhorrent. And, you know, it was all over Facebook. And all my friends were going, oh, that's disgusting. They weren't breaking any laws. Mm. Same with sour crates and your pigs. Mm. You know, I, I mean, a lot of people don't like to know where their food came from. There's this wonderful disconnect. But if you knew where it came from, you knew the life it had, and you had to kill it yourself, how much meat would be eaten? Yeah, that, it's a valid question, completely valid. So would it be fair to say that rather for you than um, health, it's ethical, mostly ethical sort of issues? Yeah, mostly ethical, yeah. but I've got to say there's wonderful health benefits yeah, of okay. it. And you, mean, so you don't, you don't, there's no animal products, there's no leather shoes, there's no nothing like that, no belts? Nice, how long have you been I'm, doing it? Uh, three years, probably. Yeah. Um, I've been vegetarian for probably six. Right. Um, but again, it's like I... I you got to do it slowly, mm. and it's everywhere in your life. Once you start, you know, you you know, you've got because you want to buy natural fibres, so you, you you want to buy merino wool because it's beautiful and it's a New Zealand product, and da da da. And then you think, well, hang on, those sheep are going to die, you know, and milk, and it's like, oh no, right. you know, um, you know, the, the you know the calves are right. And it's so like, no you know, wool, no. See, because I guess that's another yeah. Because I guess vegan means no. Because well, the thing is, that you've, you, what happens to that animal? Um, and you know, marine, you'd argue that, that the merino sheep probably have the best deal of it, don't they? I mean, they, they get to hoon around in the hills and get shorn twice a year, you know. Um, so it's not too bad. But I mean, but why is that? Why is that a problem? I mean, I, educate me. This why, is why is what sharing a sheep and then using their wool no, to it's make not, the jumper. It's the fact that you're going to kill it at the end, right? So all sheep that get shorn end up being. Of course they do. Yeah. Same with food. same with cows. Right. You know, it's like you know, oh, it's it's just milk, and you go, oh, the cow's fine. She doesn't mind. She wants to be milked. Yeah. What happened to a calf? Yeah. What about there's like a few places around the net and we were, I'm not doing it at the moment, but there's a guy up above uh, Portobello who, you know, um, it's the Holy Cow guys. Mm. don't know if you know of them. Yeah, I do. Very, very different setup they've had. Any difference for you? No. Yeah, I mean, you've, no. Still, you've still got to take the calf off its mum, otherwise right. you don't get the milk. And what happens to the calf? Yep. It's a byproduct, so it gets killed. Um, you know, there's, there's better ethics, yeah. you know, and, and worse ethics. But at the end of the day, I think... This is why, you know, I've obviously given you an absolute diatribe, but it's like I don't ram it down people's throat. When I'm asked, yeah. I, I will discuss it. I don't ram it, ram it down people's throat. Or I want people to be healthy. I want them to make their own decisions. I want them to be informed. Yep. If you're informed and you want to go hunting or you want to go to the butcher and you're comfortable with where that meat came from, what, so be it. That's been happening for millennium and I'm not going to change it. I get that. But all I'll say is just question your own 
you know, and you don't have to be vegan. Maybe go one one meal a week, maybe two meals a week. Very cool. Hey, listen, what time we got? It is, it's ten past one. Right. You've got a appointment I, to get to at one thirty. I have, yes. Thanks for coming in. My absolute pleasure, mate. Had fun? Yeah, there'll be beer next time, eh? Yeah, we'll do it again, eh? Good man. All right, Damien, you'll... Next Thanks, time. sir. Catch you later. All right then, that was Damien Newell. Uh, you can find out more about what we're doing by visiting Facebook, facebook.com forward slash DEPT, department DEPT of conversation. Uh, come like us there, come subscribe to our YouTube channel as well. We're always broadcasting this live on YouTube and Facebook. So if you're around during the days and you want to check out what we're doing, you can see video of what we're doing. So in the episode that's just gone, there was a few clips that we were talking about. Go to the video feed if you want to see what those are, um, because obviously listening to the audio, you may not get the full appreciation for them. So go to the video feed on YouTube or Facebook, and you'll be able to see some of those clips we played in today's episode. Thank you again for uh, joining us. We'll be back again hopefully next week with another podcast with another interesting person. Um, Stay safe. uh, Like us on Facebook. Subscribe on YouTube. And have a good one. Hooray.